Welcome to FNI Performance Podcast, powered by SimTech Dealer Services, your source for everything FNI. Real talk, real experts, real results. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, what's going on, FNI Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me in another episode of FNI Performance Podcast, sponsored by SimTech Dealer Services. That is my best radio announcer voice. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, today, that was pretty good. <laughs> thanks. Today, I <laughs> I am with two very special guests. I have both Annie and Lindsay with me, and today we're going to have a great time talking about F and I dealerships, digital, all kinds of fun stuff. But before we do that, I'd love to kick off the podcast with a couple origin stories, so everyone out there that's watching and listening know a little bit more about the two of you. Annie, I'll start off with you. How did you get started in this crazy little world we call the automotive industry? Well, I'm not going to take you too far back, Jason, but I will take you back to uh, my childhood because I actually grew up in this industry. My father owned dealerships uh, when I was younger, uh, but I started my automotive career uh, with OEMs. Uh, I started with Volvo Canada uh, back in 97. And I continue my OEM career uh, from Volvo Canada to Mazda Canada, uh, followed by Hyundai Canada, and joined the SimTech team uh, just a little over three years ago. And uh, Lindsay, for yourself now, how did you get started in this crazy little world we call the automotive industry? Well, you know, it, it was really deja vu. Like I, I uh, had always been surrounded by the car business, although I actually started to work with for IBM out of university, but my best friend at high school in Fergus, Ontario, about an hour and a half outside of Toronto, his family were a GM dealership. So I used to hang out there all the time after school and, and whatnot. And then I actually almost went to work for GM and went to General, General Motors Institute of Technology. Had their, they had their own university in, in, uh, in Michigan. I almost went there. And then my father-in-law was a car dealer. I almost went into business with him when he was retiring, but then we ended up getting an opportunity to move to the States. And uh, it was just a fluke. I happened to see my, we just had our first son and I was looking <clears throat> for a job for my wife to get her back to work. So I didn't have to work so hard and uh, happened to see this ad for Mercedes-Benz credit for uh, a director of, of marketing and product communications. And it was like 15 minutes from my house. And it was like, I had one of those really bad days at work at IBM and, and I just, I just went, ah, what the hell I'll apply. And two and a half weeks later, I had a job offer and, and the, the greatest thing, you know, at Mercedes credit, when I joined there, when you got your offer letter, it had had the color chip. So you could pick out which color your new Mercedes company car would be. Oh man, I was dead. I was like, where do I sign? I'll pay you. So, you know, and then, it, and then it just went from there from Mercedes credit to BMW financial in the States. I was heading up sales and then operations and then came back as CEO of BMW group Canada. So it really was fortuitous, but there was always this calling of the car industry, the car industries, you know, you need to get into it. And then, you know, it's been, it's been wonderful ever since, you know, going 25 plus years. You know what I find for a lot of us in this industry, it's it's usually one of two ways that we get into it. Either we literally fall or fumble our way into it, or Annie, in your case, you're born into it. But that's just kind of how it works. Now, I'm curious, and guys, you know, what was that? And it becomes an addiction. 
Trust me. Oh, you get addicted very quickly. Once it gets into your <laughs> once it gets into your blood, it's just it's it's in it, and it's so hard to get it out. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I was a dealer principal for a while, and and now I consult with dealerships and help them with their marketing efforts. And it's like I'll get into a dealership and I'll see somebody walking around on the floor, and I just I, I just I just want to jump in. <laughs> Like I just, <laughs> sometimes I do, I can't help myself. I just, it's just, it gets in you. And it's just like the high of selling a car and delivering a car and just helping and assisting someone with one of the largest purchases that they're going to make in their life. is just, it's, it is really cool to be a part of this business. Um, and speaking uh, of you know, business, we are... <clears throat> you know, how is business? Sorry, Jane, right? I was just saying, we yeah. get, we, we get calls all the time about, oh, can you get me a deal? Right. You still get those calls all the time. <laughs> oh, oh, you know, you know, all these people, I'm trying to get a deal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't. I cannot go to a dinner party, right? You know how it is. You go to a dinner party, and someone finds out you're in the automotive industry, and then it's like, oh, here it comes. And it's 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 either they're going to want your 15 different opinions on the 20 different cars that they're considering, or you know they're going to want to tell you about a time that they went to a dealership and it was an experience. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's just how it goes. But I mean, look, business has been interesting right now. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I just would have never expected our industry to go in this direction and things have changed so much. So I'm, I'm curious for you guys, like how is business right now? I mean, with SimTech? Well, I mean, that's a very interesting question because you would have asked me this question uh, a month ago and my answer would have been completely different. Uh, but I mean, thankfully, June uh, is turning around and like very, very positive indicators so far for the month of June. And obviously, the entire FNI uh, business of protection products and extended warranty is entirely correlated to vehicle sales. So we're very uh, we're optimistic, but at the same time, we're we are realistic. Uh, there's definitely some uh, pent up demand. Uh, in the marketplace. Um, so how long will uh, June trend continue? Uh, that remains to be seen. But uh, so far, we're very excited and positive about what the month of June looks like. I'm with you. I, I, I kind of see the, the light at the end of the tunnel right now and you know talking to a lot of dealers they are feeling the exact same way. You know here where we are in Ontario we got hit a lot harder you know, talking to a lot of the dealerships I work with out West, they're kind of like COVID what, you know, <laughs> right. business, yeah. it slowed down a little bit, but not a whole lot for them. Uh, Lindsay, for yourself, how's uh, business right now? Yeah, well, you know, it's, uh, it, it is, but as Annie was saying, there's certainly, you know, we were just talking to some of our clients this morning, actually, and, and business for June is looking really good. I know that, you know, there was lots of uh, estimates that were like 40,000 lease maturities every month that were coming due from March through to June. And then I expect, you know, even February maturities, customers weren't necessarily able to get all of those cars back. So I think, between that, uh, that's a lot of pent up demand. You know, very few of those lease customers are going to drop off their car and walk home. Um, and then I think, you know, there's just, there's just people are wanting to reward themselves, right? They're like, hey, I've been stuck in my house for, for three months. I need to go out there and, and, and treat myself. And, and then you have that group of people that customers that, you know, they're working from home. They're not going to be, uh, uh, but they, they can see that they're going to be going back to the office soon. You know, some offices have started opening up and they're like, Hey, 
I'm not comfortable taking public transit or the, you know, the, the TTC, so I'm gonna get a car because that's the safest mode of transportation I can get. So I think there is that demand. And as Annie says, the question is, when we get into September, October, where, you know, where are we relative to, you know, another wave or is there a vaccine on the horizon? Are people confident about their jobs and whatnot? You know, is, is people, are people traveling again? Are they getting out to restaurants and bars and sporting events? So I think that's, that's the great uncertainty, but I think we, at this point we have to be, you know, cautiously optimistic. And, and as I said, you know, you know, the, the, their estimate, you know, you see estimates of, you know, are, are car sales going to drop 20 or 25%? Who knows? But certainly not anything like we, ex you know, uh, that you would get in the, in the airline industry or hotel and restaurants and bars. So thank goodness we're in the auto industry. No, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, I, I think especially here where we are in Ontario, there's over a million people that rely on public transit. And, you know, I, I, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day that took the GO train every single day. And I'm like, you're going to get back in a train? He's like, absolutely not. Of course, you know, you know what he was asking me, right? Go, you know, how much can I lease? A Toyota camera. <laughs> I'm like, right now, yeah, not a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> but, you know, I, this reminds me so much of kind of that 2008, 2009, you know, meltdown. But in, in some ways, it reminds me. And then other ways, it's just so much different, right? I mean, I remember I was in the thick of it. I was in the, I was in the U.S. during during the recession. And uh, boy, it was, it was scary. I mean, you could go through my neighborhood and go green grass, green grass, brown, brown, green, brown, green, brown. You know which houses were foreclosure we got hit really hard but it was over kind of a six to nine month period that that meltdown actually happened um i don't think anybody could have ever anticipated within two weeks of everything kind of imploding and but because of that imploding i think a lot of you know industry trends have changed so i'm kind of curious you know from both of you and annie i'll ask you the question Lindsay, i'll ask you the same one but you know what industry trends are you seeing um during the covid19 environment well, uh, to your point, Jason, like a financial recession of 08, 09 is very, very different than a pandemic. Uh, so there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty in the market. Um, consumer confidence also becomes uh, a factor. Uh, but the trends are, I, I hate to state the obvious, but I will. Uh, the trend is very much driven to uh, how do we conduct and continue to conduct business in a virtual uh, environment and a digital with digital solutions. So it's very much uh, the conversations around those things have been fast tracked uh, due to the pandemic uh, because we have to reinvent uh, what we do and how we do it. I'm, I'm with you on that, Andy. I mean, you know, uh, I get criticized a little bit because I, I, I use a lot of tough love for our industry. You know, I, I, I've been in it long enough. I have high expectations of how dealerships, you know, deal with customers and treat them and how they build the processes around them. And, you know, I found that, you know, during this time frame, I have to applaud our industry because as an industry that traditionally does not change <laughs> very fast. All right. I mean, we had to make monster monster changes in some cases 
30 days. Um, I mean, I would say the industry changed more in 30 days than it probably has in probably the last 10 years kind of combined when it comes to uh, how we approach that digital customer. And and that F&I has a lot to do with that. Now, I'm curious, Lindsay, from you, you know, what industry trends are you seeing, you know, kind of evolve during this COVID-19 environment? Yeah, and I, just back to your point on on the recession, I think it was, you know, it was quite different in 08, 09. And, and um you know, like and, you know, the U.S. got really got decimated, but Canada, like our car sales went from like 1.7 to 1.5 ish, uh, you know, in the years. So, you know, if, if, if we do have a 20 or 30 percent reduction this year, it would have a far, far larger impact. You know, and that was very liquidity and, and, and a very different different type of meltdown. And now there's so much uncertainty. Right. And it affected every single dealer, every kind of business. Um, but on the other hand, you know, we are seeing, you know, positive, I think positive trends where, you know, as you mentioned, this is a very traditional industry. You'll come to the dealership, negotiate your deal, then we'll turn you over to the F&I manager, you know, bring your car in for service and kind of wait there or whatever. And, and now we're, you know, we're having to accelerate, like you say, really transform, uh, into this whole virtual world and digital world far, far faster versus the traditional hundred plus years that we've we've been doing business in the car industry pretty pretty much the same. No, it's totally true. So I, I think yeah, I do think I think certainly from an F and I side, you know, kind of a topic, you know, it's gonna be even more important for 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 dealers if you if you think um, you know if car sales <clears throat> do do decline double digits, they have more competition. From what we hear, there may well be shortages. We're already hearing about those in the state, shortages of hot selling cars and pickup trucks and SUVs because OEMs can't get their plants online or their suppliers can't get online fast enough to start the manufacturing process. So, you know, dealers are going to run out potentially of the hot selling cars and it may be months before that production gets backfilled. Um, so, you know, you're going to have the same number of dealers competing for less sales. Uh, so that F&I profitability and even the used car business is going to be, you know, the used car business has been very volatile because, you know, without auctions running and everything, dealers like, hey, I'm not touching cars. Who knows what the value is of the cars? So I think that's going to settle down. So you're going to have to get dealers focusing more on used cars, focusing on F&I, which, you know, used cars is a, a great opportunity for F&I products. So I think that profitability is going to be even more critical. Uh, for the dealership. So we're looking forward to that because that's our business. Well, you know, the, those are some big challenges that, you know, the OEMs are facing right now and the dealers are facing right now. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, because uh, we talk a lot about the challenges that OEMs are facing when it comes to like inventory levels. You know, I was, I was talking to, you know, uh, someone from Kia the other day. They're like, hey, we're good. I mean, they have inventory, they're actually very excited, you know, and then I was, I was talking to Hyundai the other day, and they're like, oh, no, um, like, the stockpile's already running out, you know, and dealers are trying to hold on to everything they can. So we're already beginning to see that happen. But, you know, I'm kind of curious, you know, some of the challenges that the lenders are facing right now. Because, you know, I, I hear a lot about the dealer side, I hear a lot about the OEM side, but it's like, what are the biggest challenges that lenders are facing right now? Annie, I'll ask you and then Lindsay the same question. It's a, it's an, it's a very interesting question on the, on the lenders uh, side of the business, because obviously 
every lender has been extremely busy over this pandemic. Um, and it's been challenging for them, but I think I'm gonna bring it back to the need uh, to change processes and go about doing things um, differently and adapting the processes to this new environment, uh, which will, will force absolutely everyone, OEMs, dealers, and lenders to adjust the course uh, with like very uh, basic business processes that no longer work under an environment like this. It's totally true. I mean, I was talking to a dealer the other day. They were having a hard time just getting approvals. I mean, what? how do you get an approval when over 30% of the population is furloughed right now? Like, they, 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 technically, they don't have a job, you know? So, I mean, Lindsay, what, any other challenges you see that, you know, as far as, you know, OEMs or lenders or dealers are facing right now? Yeah, I, well, I think, you know, the, the OEMs in Canada with their captive finance companies have a real advantage there, right? Because, you know, yes, they're you know, the Ford credits or BMW financials or, or Hyundai capital, all of those are, you know, they're there to make money, but they're also there number one to facilitate the sale of their, of, of their OEMs products. So, and with interest, the good news is interest rates are at historical lows, right? You're almost like, you, you know, you're being paid to borrow money. And, and so it's costing the manufacturers, you know, not much to subvene that interest rate down to zero. So they've got lots of powder in their incentive ammunition to be able to go and encourage sales. Uh, normally the captives are gonna be more willing from, from, from the credit buying perspective. Um, so I think, you know, there's gonna be, I don't foresee, I think you're gonna certainly see some of the lending sources tightening up depending on their, their demographics, right? Because they've had to extend a lot of terms or defer payments or whatnot. Uh, so that is going to come into play and it's going to vary. We are seeing, you know, and it's something that we also do at SimTech, we, we train on special finance uh, for those customers that have some challenging credit histories or, you know, trouble getting a car. So we have a whole process for that and a whole training uh, 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 curriculum that helps dealers get into that business, which we think will also become more important because as Annie was saying, Right. If, and you were saying if you have these high unemployment rates and people are probably going to be missing payments or skipping payments, you know, it's going to hit their credit rating. And so you're going to need these special finance programs to help those customers get back into a car at a reasonable price and, and let them rebuild their credit history. And I remember during that 08, 09 recession meltdown, that was the exact same thing happened there as well. Right. You know, it was like we were focus so much on, you know, the subvented rates. And then as we were coming back, we we're doing a lot more non-subvented rates. And mm -hmm. I think that's really when I remember my dealership really built up, you know, that that subprime or non-prime, you know, type business. Now, 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 I understand that right now as an industry, it seems like the word pivot is <laughs> it's like, uh, it should be like tattooed on my arm right now because it just kind of well, seems like to the be new like, Harvard Business Review. Yeah, it's word just, of the day. It is the word of the day. And it just seems like that's the word that everyone's talking about. Because I think as an industry, we're all trying to pivot. You know, we're, uh, Annie, to your point, we're trying to pivot our processes. We're trying to pivot our marketing efforts. You know, um, so I'm just kind of curious from you guys, you know, how is SimTech, you know, you know, pivoting to work with dealers and dealer groups and OEMs during the pandemic? Annie, I'll start with you and then Lindsay, I'll ask you the same question. Well, I mean, first of all, Jason, uh, I mean, couldn't be more proud of the Syntec team. We've completely shifted 
our entire operation to a work from home solution. Uh, we wanted to obviously protect our associates and make sure that we continue um, providing the services and the experience and the performance driven uh, solution that we have to our dealers without any interruption. And we were able to do that and the team has not missed a beat, uh, which has been a, a tremendous um, accomplishment, which we're extremely proud of. And we're going to continue. I mean, everything is pivoting to virtual and online uh, and digital solution. And that's exactly where our focus has been. Um, how do we fast track all of our virtual and digital solutions and make sure we provide the right tools to our OEM clients and to our dealers uh, to really support this new environment uh, that we have. And we managed to, we managed to do that and we managed to, uh, to do it extremely well. That's awesome. Uh, Lindsay, anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. it really has been amazing the last few months, what we've gone through, as I, as I said, we, we've gone from this traditional F&I approach and we've had to basically, you know, our, our, we, we have a, a very disciplined sales process. So the good news is we can adapt that to virtual or digital or, or whether it's you have an F&I manager or the salespeople are doing it. So, you know, you have a specific process, you can train it, it's teachable, it's consistent, it's measurable. Um, but it was really interesting, right? Because all of a sudden, even though we had always trained about handling turnovers by phone, because it's quite common in the industry, never to the degree of using the, the latest technology. It was mainly phone and email and menu and that type of discussion versus true virtual video conferencing, right? And I think we finally discovered how powerful these tools are like Zoom and Microsoft Teams or WebEx. And so, you know, we, we invest a lot of time and energy to say, hey, here's the right way, the best way, the recommended way to deal with your, your customers. And video conferencing is the best way. Right. And, you know, just showing, you know, seeing the body language, seeing the reactions, uh, you know, lo and behold, right. A lot of our dealers don't have computers with cameras. <laughs> so it was, it was an interesting to say, Hey, we're all set to go. It's like, Oh, well, my dealer doesn't have a camera on their, you know, 1997 DOS 7.0 or whatever it is. Or, or an internet computer. connection will even support it. <laughs> yeah. So that was one thing. And then the other piece is the training. Like, What's critical to to executing a process flawlessly and consistently is is training. So we immerse our F and I managers into four or five day immersive training again with videoing and classroom collaboration, lots of one on one facilitation, and we have these beautiful training facilities in Montreal and Toronto and Calgary that have a, a nice you know twenty five people with all the video breakout rooms and. Wonderful. Well, who's going to go to a classroom, right? Who's going to get on a plane and fly from Regina to Toronto for five days in a hotel right now? Who knows? That may not happen forever, for years, right? So we basically, over the last couple of months, have basically transformed all of our physical in-class courses into you know, virtual classroom, which is different than a Zoom, what we're doing different than a WebEx, right? It's like you have, you can't have people sitting in front of this, like we know what it's like all day sitting in front of the, the tube for eight hours. So you have to break it up in bite-sized chunks. You have to have that, still have the collaboration. You have to have the facilitation with the trainer. And so, you know, we've converted things to a Blackboard Collaborate platform. And we're continuing to do that with all of our classes, but we've already run 
some virtual classroom. So basically we now have the ability to, to execute that four or five day program anywhere, anytime in, in real time. So that's, it's something that, yeah, we probably should have done years ago, but you know, the pandemic said, hey, well, you really don't have any choice because dealers are gonna need you know, stronger F&I performance by far now. So how do we train them Right in a virtual, non-travel, not, you know, socially distanced way. So it's, it's it's been very good developments, but it's certainly been a oh man, we better get on this and and get on this fast. Now, I, I'm with. I love these new developments. Like I feel that they're so customer centric. You know, I feel like you know just being able to communicate to the customer the way the customer wants to be communicated at the time that they want to be communicated. I mean, look, I, I've never met anybody that enjoyed spending four and a half hours in a dealership. <laughs> you know, I just to buy to, to do that. I, I've never said someone come out and go, "Gosh, man, that was just an amazing." Four and a half hours. I want to do that again sometime, you know? But if you're just being able to kind of break it up, we can do that virtually, right? Like, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I, I find that people are not having to do the the virtual, you know, purchase process or whatever portion they want to do virtually versus in the dealership. But then they can, you know, set a separate time. They can take a break. They can breathe for a little bit and then start up kind of that virtual F&I process. And I think there are some amazing results coming out of it. I, mean, I, I know some, some dealerships that are executing this and executing it really well. They're actually seeing more gross, you know, or more, more profitability per copy than they have in the past because you know when the customer is attached to this device they're, they're more in tune you know you know they just versus them you know spending two and a half hours in the sales department and get thrown into the fni box by the way i hate that word i don't know who came up with that or why we decided to call it the box but that's about the worst thing we could, right? like, terminology. horrible term <laughs> we need we need to open up the box exactly well and to your point Lizzie, we that's what's going on right like that's what's going on this you know being able to communicate you know via video is opening that up to allowing the customer to engage with FNI products and solutions in an environment and at a time that they feel comfortable. So, so I'm actually super excited about it, but I'm concerned, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on this, is do you think these trends will continue, you know, or will we just go back to normal <laughs> when, when things start to open up? Annie, what are your thoughts? And Lindsay, I'll ask you the same question. Honestly, Jason, these trends will continue. Uh, I think we constantly have to keep our eyes on how do we basically close the gap between um, dealership processes and customer needs and customer demands. Uh, I think the fact remains that consumers will be looking to interact very differently through these transactions. And we right now have an opportunity to respond to those expectations. And we will never ever keep our eyes off of making sure that we have the appropriate solutions out there to transact with all the various types of customers and the way that they are willing to transact. I, I agree completely. Uh, I had a, one of my neighbors actually buy a brand new pickup um, right in the middle of April. Like, I mean, talk about like really in the thick of it, right? And, you know, 80% of it was done online. And, you know, he, he's like, he, he, I think he told me this is the seventh car he, he's purchased, you know, and he was like, it was the best purchase experience I ever had. 
Like it was, mm-hmm. it was on my time. It was on my schedule. It was, it did not feel like I was being forced into a, a, my, a maze of left and rights, you know, like it was, it was very, very relaxed, very, very comfortable for him. But Lindsay, what are your thoughts? Do you think we'll keep yeah. these trends or are we going to go back to the normal? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll be a little, uh, I'll have a, I have a little different opinion than Nanny because I think it's a life is a bell curve. And, uh, you know, we, we, we have those dealers that are, that are always so far ahead of, of, you know, us as a OEMs or the industry. And then you get the ones at the end, other end of the bell curve, which just are still trying to, what COVID, what's that, right? So I think, you know, you'll see some of this change that, that for sure, I think we're seeing it already. Like a good example is, is on, in the industry where, you know, e-signatures have been something on, on the table for many, many years. Like we just implemented an e-signature capability in our, our dealer portal platform, which will allow all of the protection products to be signed through a DocuSign or, or that type of facility. Um, you know, one of the areas that haven't, we have needed wet signatures still is on loan or lease agreements. So I think that's from, from talking to the industry, I think that one's going to be accelerated much faster to say, hey, why can't we do e-signatures for lease and loan agreements or some insurance agreements? Let's move on. And then we can have, you know, one of the most important things today, and I think this trend will continue, is the safe delivery, right? The safe purchase and delivery of a car. So, you know, the safest way is to get all these contracts in an in a electronic file and allow you to e-sig them all. I don't have to touch any paper. I don't have to touch a pen. I don't have to do anything, Right. And obviously, we have to make sure it's the right person and, and you know, from a uh, identity a validation to make sure there's no fraudulent activity going on. But I think those things are going to happen. Uh, but I think the whole, the, the virtual piece will continue. And I think it's, it's only going to accelerate because overall, certainly in the major metros, right? If you look at the Montreal's, Toronto's, Calgary, Edmonton's, Vancouver, you have 80, 85% of the business, not to detract from, from the rest of the country, but like if I was still back in Fergus, Ontario, I wouldn't be doing things virtual. I'd go down to the local, my local, you know, buddy's dealership and say, I want that car. But, you know, if you look at, you know, in, in most of the market in Canada, in these large metros, they're going to say, hey, you know, I, I kind of like this virtual, this digital thing. I, I want to do more and more and more. Right. I was used to Amazon and, you know, I, I've got 15 packages stacked up outside my door today that were one click. And, and you know, the car buying process is much, much complicated than buying a book. But, you know, you have build in price, you have online credit apps, you have trade in appraisals to some degree, some really good, some in, non-existent, really. Why aren't the FNI products there? Right. Which are really important value to the customer allow them to get educated, to be informed, to be able to include them into their payment during the process, rather than waiting until, okay, I've just configured that car, I've got everything, I've got my $4.99 payment, now I go to the dealership and I get turnover to the box, right? And all of a sudden I'm up to $6.99 and maybe that was okay, but I really didn't have the understanding of why all these products were there and what I what's good and what I need or what I don't think I need and where's the value and right. No surprises. So I think we will see an acceleration of that for sure. I'm with you, Lindsay. And I think that the acceleration of that is going to be the demand from the customer. 
I mean, I, I think what it is, is one of the biggest lessons I think dealerships have learned during this whole pandemic is that we have to listen to the customer. All right. If, if that pie of, you know, cars being sold are going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. All right. My percentage of the pie needs to get larger and larger and larger. And the key to do that is actually listen to the customer. I know it's crazy, but, you know, but it all comes down and Lindsay, kind of what you were talking about. It comes down to that experience. You know, it's, it's like a, it's like my neighbor across the street that bought that truck. He's like, it was a great experience. I mean, look, guys, bottom line is the F&I experience in stores has traditionally been a cause of like just bad experience or low CSI. Right. I mean, look at about well, this. What I mean, we say is. Sorry, Jason. What no, no, we say is customers will buy. Yeah, we say at Simtech with with our whole process and the way that we teach, is customers will buy far more from you than you can sell, right? And that's our philosophy: present 100% of the products, 100% of the time to 100% of the customers in a very customer-focused, centric, you know, satisfying way, and let them choose, right? They understand the value of these products. They understand their situation. You know, we've been able to explain why this makes sense for them. In this case, and then they go, okay, oh yeah, I'll take I'll take the preferred menu option. You know, it's very simple when done the right way. Well, yeah. see, that's the point, Lindsay. It is simple when it's done the right way, but we've always chosen to do it our way for majority of dealerships. All right, you know, it's like no, 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 no. I'm going to sell you a car, and you're going to you know buy these services, and I'm going to present these services my way. Now we're kind of being forced to do it the customer's way, which is great. But, you know, I mean, I'm kind of curious, guys, like, why do you think, all right, that, you know, that ex that F&I experience is, you know, needs to change or how can we improve that experience moving forward? I just, I think the key is I don't want to fall back just to the norm. So, you know, why why is that experience bad right now? Lindsay, Annie, I'll start with you and then Lindsay, I'll ask you the same question. Uh, the experience was always a factor. Um, and unfortunately, it has not been the best. And the need for change um, has been there for a very long time. I mean, these are conversations that within the OEM industry, within and Lindsay, I'm sure can recall many conversations, boardroom conversation with dealer council members. This space has been uh, unfortunately known to be a cause of CSI concerns. And it has to change. Uh, now is the time uh, because we're into a new environment. We need to move away from, it's always been a challenging part of the equation. I mean, paperwork has to be completed, but we need, and I might be a little controversial here, but we need to stop hiding the FNI products from the customer. The customer is, the customer that loves to do research. The customer loves to understand the uh, differences between vehicles the same way that they love to understand what type of protection products are available to me and why would I be considering these protection products or extended warranty. At the same time, it's a complex, it's a very complex space because Jason, if you're leasing a vehicle, Lindsay is financing a vehicle on a very long-term finance, very different ownership circumstances. But bottom line, FNI products have to be presented to be relevant to the transaction of the buyer. Uh, so I think this is where we need to change our environment. We need to be much more transparent and much more open in presenting these products because these products are there to enhance the ownership experience uh, for any brand of vehicle. 
And right there, just what I just said has everything to do with increase, increasing CSI. And there's so much value behind the products and the customer need to understand that. And they need to be able to see it and research it on their own time uh, with the right information available to them. I'm, I'm with you on that, Andy. I mean, you use the word present multiple times. And, yeah. and I think that's such a key part. It's like, it, we gotta stop selling these products and services and we need to present these products and services. You know. Honestly, I don't know anybody that actually enjoys the feeling of being sold. Do you remember the last time you guys got sold something? Like, it is not, like, it, just to be sold on it, like, like, I want to go take a shower or something like that. Um, but, but no, it, it is. It comes down into that presentation. Um, Lindsay, for yourself, you know, what, what do you think that needs to be changed or improved so that customer experience or that CSI score gets better, you know, in regards to F&I? No, I like your comment about we don't like being sold, you know, and I won't use the name, but 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 a famous men's clothing store chain in Canada. And I know every time I would go into that store, like, like the salespeople would be kind of following you. They'd be like, you know, 10 feet behind you, just kind of tracking you. And I, I was like, I'm not buying anything here. Let me just get out of here. <laughs> right. So but I think, you know, Andy's dead on is, is, is we, we think, you know, you see a lot of research that, that customers are spending 15, 20 plus hours, uh, you know, you know, researching their vehicle. And, and yet on most OEM websites, dealer groups, you know, dealers, tier one, tier two, two, three, whatever, whatever you say, you know, there's not the ability in most cases to learn about these products and learn why these products make sense to, to you. And, you know, we're, if you, if you think in Canada, we're still, I would say, even more traditional than in the U.S., where almost all, all the dealers in the States have moved to a menu-based type of presentation, right, that provides all the products, you know, in kind of a good, better, best. And yet most, I'd say the majority of Canadian dealers are still product selling or step selling. So what that leads to is the F&I manager leading with the product that they like, that they're comfortable with that has the largest margins. Or the, yeah, the one right? they not make the most on. <laughs> not necessarily what is best for the customer, right? And we believe in, you know, selling more products at reasonable margins and particularly products that bring the customer back to the dealership, you know, mechanical breakdown products, you know, uh, appearance protection products, gap products. Obviously, if you have a gap incident, you're coming back to the dealership to get a new car. So those are the products that really add a lot more value to most customers and instill that brand loyalty and dealership loyalty to bring them back to the store. But in many cases, we have a very short-term mentality in the F&I office because they're measured on their gross profit. So they're motivated to get the largest gross profit, whether it's one product, right? If I hit, hit the home run, I'm happy. Not necessarily the right, right way to look after the customer. So I think it is, it is how do you present, how do you educate the customer more? And, and how do you, you know, and then, so they're comfortable when they get to the store. And because if, if you don't, in this virtual world, right, you're going to lose that opportunity. And if, if F&I profitability is, you know, that three to 5% of revenue, but 15 to maybe 30%, even the gross profit, if you don't integrate this in your digital selling process, you're going to give up that profitability, which will be, you know, the death knell for many dealers. Uh, 
You're 100% right there, Lindsay. I mean, if we don't build it into that digital process, I agree with you. We're going to lose out because, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier, Annie, it's about the presentation. And what I think dealers, another thing that dealerships have realized is that the vehicle buying process starts online. And so they've put more attention to that. You know, I hate to say it, but for majority of dealerships, they looked at their website as just a digital brochure, just enough information to get them in the door. That's it. Right. But I think a lot of dealerships have woken up to the fact now, right, especially during this pandemic, that that is literally my digital dealership. You know, I have my brick and mortar, got my physical dealership. Now this is my digital dealership. So let me treat it in the same way that I would treat my physical dealership and treat my digital dealership. And I think FNI products is, is a, one thing that's totally missing there. I mean, FNI products have not, you know, typically been um, a core of attention on, you know, a dealership's website. And definitely not for OEMs, right? I mean, you'll see build and price apps and you'll see credit apps and trading estimate apps and uh, live chat apps and, you know, and it seems like you see apps for everything on there. But then when it comes to F9, you see very little. And I'm kind of curious what your guys' thoughts on, you know, why and, and how do we change that? Annie, I'll start with you and then Lindsay, I'll ask you the same question. And, and, and that's the biggest concern uh, to me is why are we, I, I don't want to, I don't want to use the term hiding, but we are somewhat hiding these products until the 11th hour, where ultimately these products bring tremendous amount of value to the customer. And it has to be relevant to me, because again, if I'm leasing a vehicle very short term, you're financing a vehicle very long term and you're a high mileage driver very different circumstances. So you and I are not uh, customers for the same products, but I wanna understand as a consumer, what products are available to me uh, in my particular circumstance. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I think in a very big way that these products need to become uh, front and center as part of the vehicle ownership uh, experience. Uh, tremendous benefit for dealers, tremendous benefit for uh, OEMs, and tremendous benefit for the customer. Uh, there's so much value behind these products, um, and Lindsay uh, listed a few of them, uh, but customers don't understand, and we don't, we're not giving them enough time to understand the products. No, it's totally true. I mean, look, we've pretty much treated FNI products and services as a, and I've actually even heard this term, which I hate even more, a last kick at the can. You know, like, let me just, you know, one more, one more swing of the bat to try to make a little more money, you know, and, and, and I hate that because I mean, I, there are, there, look, there are some products and services out there that are not worth the paper they're printed on. Let's, we can say that, right. But there are a lot that bring tremendous amount of value to the customer and to present it in a way that it's a, a kick, a last kick of the can or a swing in the bat is just not really, well, Hey, it's not doing, you know, a good uh, justice to this customer. And it's not really, you know, unfortunately kind of gives our, our industry kind of a bad rap, you know, Lindsay, I kind of would love to know kind of your thoughts of like, you know, how do we change this? Yeah. Well, I think you need, you need a threat. You need these, well, obviously like a black swan event, like we have a pandemic. I, I think back Jason to the late nineties with the dot com. Right, and I can remember. I remember meeting with some of these dot-com startups. You know that we're going to put the whole car industry, you know, the dealers out of business. Right, you know, customer service and technology. You're gone, Mr. Dealer, and and uh, um, 
And, and, and so I remember, cause I was at BMW at the time and we were like, hey, let's get put MSRP of our cars on the website, right? And the dealers were like, oh, you can't do that. Oh, right. And, and it's like, well, wait a minute here. Like, like, do you want them, do you want customers to go to that third party website that's trying to put you out of business? Or do you want them to come to us knowing that most of all the customers are gonna come to the OEM's website and then we can direct them to you uh you know so it, it's really interesting when you see and then we we put an online credit app and that was another oh the world is ending right you know you're going to try you're trying to put me out of business and i was like oh wow this is good we actually get a approved customer right and again the best dealers were already so far ahead of this right so but that you're, you know you're trying to get agreement from an entire dealer body which you know is it's like all of us right there's 10 of us in a room and you have 20 opinions so uh but I think I think this event will will foster that acceleration because you can't afford to give up that F and I profitability. And I think one of the challenges is 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 most OEMs don't look at protection products as a core part of their business. Maybe mechanical breakdown is an extended warranty, but for the most part, it's not. So they don't spend time on it. They don't resource it. They don't have a full suite of products. So therefore, right, the dealers need to, to, to supplement their F&I products with their products that they pick from other vendors. So it is a bit of a potpourri. And so you, you need, a, and I don't think in all cases, all the OEMs are ever gonna have a whole suite of products. So they're gonna have to find a way to present, have those products presented, their branded products, and then other products as, as from the dealers to provide that complete well, one-stop shopping where the customer can go through the process, build their car, you know, research their lease and, and loan options or cash options, their trade-in, F&I products. Let me understand why these specific products make sense to me because I'm leasing this, you know, $50,000 vehicle, but I'm gonna lease it for, you know, five, four years, but I drive, you know, 25,000 miles a year or whatever, right? So to set up the right products for that customer. So they're part of that whole process. And the customer sees that you know five ninety nine payment, and they know, boom, they go to the dealership to finish the deal, or they do it by e signature, and the dealer's going to deliver the car. Boom, done deal, right? And I I looked after the customer; they're very happy. The dealership made you know the profit profit that they need to sustain their business. And 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 Jason, I'm gonna I'm gonna add to this. Uh, great points, Lindsay. Uh, like having been in the OEM space, working directly with dealers for over 20 years of my career, I know for a fact that there's a, a place there for dealers and OEMs to come together. And all we have to do in this particular, um, in these discussions is really keep the customer in mind. And what is best for the customer? There is a way to respect every party if you could put the customer at the center of your conversation and what is right for our customers. And, and I'm seeing as an industry, we're doing a lot more of that. In fact, we don't look, we've done more of that in the last 60 days than we probably have in the last 16 years. Um, so, so I am, <clears throat> excuse me, I am super, super excited about that. And, and I think the presenting of that product early on and presenting it as a holistic purchase, not that you buy this one transaction and then you go to this other transaction. I mean, I do love these digital retailing products and I do like some of these new build and price functions that are beginning to include these things, but they still leave it at the end. Have you ever noticed that? 
So it's like you go through building mm-hmm. the entire car, you got the payment of the car, and then again, at the end, let me talk about the protection. You know, I mean, I've seen some of the best dealerships out there don't present a payment until they present the entire package, you know, including those protections and those services. But you're right. It's like it's getting, we, we have to put the customer at the center of that. And I want to pu- just kind of highlight one thing, Lindsay, that you mentioned, and I think it's going to be a big part of putting the customer at the center of it is, is um, how we're paying our f and managers. Now, I'm probably not going to be liked for what I'm about to say, <laughs> but it won't be the first time. All right. But I mean, I, I'm seeing, especially right now, a lot of dealerships have had to do a lot with a little, you know, they're, they're doing a lot more with just fewer people and, you know, and not paying these monster commissions on certain products, but creating more of a flat so that each product gets its fair shake at it. All right. Look, the customers are coming out happier and they're getting more profitable. So I think that's the direction we're going to head in. But right. I, I agree with you. There's, you know, to, to embrace this new digital world, there's a lot of things that we have to change. And I think we've covered a lot. Now, I know we're getting towards the tail end of our time today, but I do want to ask one more question before we take off. And it is my favorite question. And you guys got both prepared, so I expect big things here. <laughs> no pressure. All right. If there was one thing, all right, you can change in this industry, what would it be and why? Annie, I'll start with you. It's, it's going to be one word for me. It's visibility. Let's, let's put these F&I products in front of the customer. Let the customer understand how these products will enhance their journey and ownership uh, experience with the vehicles. And the, the whole aspect of presenting sooner then later. That's my one wish. Uh, I agree with you. I'm with you there for sure. All right, Lindsay, you're up. If there was one thing you could change in the industry, what would it be and why? I think I think it is, it's, it's, it's somewhat related, but not really related. But you know, I, I think I would move to that one price type of selling. Um, I think, you know, in this age of, of all the real-time analytics and services out there, everybody has a really good idea of what the specific car is selling for at this point in time in the marketplace. And let's just simplify it by saying, you know, this is the price. This is a fair price, right? And just simplify it, speed up the process so that you can incorporate that complete process through, you know, that with the minimum amount of time needed, Right. In many cases, we're seeing that where dealers, like you say, they don't have enough F&I managers, or maybe they're saying, hey, I need to do more with less. So I'm going to have my salespeople take over that role. And then if you go down that path, then it makes it even more, I think, compelling to have kind of a one-stop shop. There's the price. Here's your lease and loan. Here's your protection products. Boom. All done in you know 45 minutes and you're out the door, right? I, or I've done it virtual or I've done it virtually, right? And you know, the car will be delivered next Tuesday and we'll have all your your contracts e-signatured before we arrive. Jason, I suspect that Lindsay will be getting a lot of call on this one. I think so too. I think he might get as many as I get on this one. But but no, I mean, look, really, look, the entire discussion today, if you're really to wrap it up, right, it is it's about removing friction. Right, we we want to make Ooh, this a, a linear, frictionless experience for the customer that brings them value and the dealership value at the exact same time, and that's just really what we're pushing for. And if we have to push a little tough love on our industry from time to time to do so, 
I'm okay with doing that. <laughs> I think I think it can be a win-win though, Jason. I think mm-hmm. you know, you, in some cases, right? You get this kind of going on between the OEMs and and the and the dealers. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, as Annie says, it's the customer, right? And dealers want to sell cars and look after their customers. OEMs want to sell cars and have their customers looked after. So I really think there is a win-win in this, and that's the way that dealers and OEMs need to look at it. And they're not going to always disagree, right? They're going to have different opinions, but at the end of the day, and they're made, it's not always black and white, right? And there can be, you know, there's a vanilla and a chocolate and a strawberry flavor that will work. And and so I think they just need to be open to those and realize at the end of the day, if they work together, they're going to end up with a better solution for the customer and end up selling more cars and making more money, which is kind of a nice thing to do. Well said. And I mean, and if anything, the silver lining right now is that I think for a lot of people, we do have time to develop out these processes and put this into play. And, you know, we've been forced to put the customer at the center of everything. So, uh, look, I, I think it's a great time to be in an industry. So I, <laughs> there's going to be really cool things happening over the next year. I definitely think it's going to be a challenge. I think, you know, Andy, to your point, you mentioned earlier is all about process. I mean, we're, we're going to have to process our way to profitability. You know, like, I mean, I work on the marketing side. I'll tell you right now, there ain't no marketing magic diet pill that I can give you to make you help you sell more cars. And that's it's it's about removing that friction, all right, and processing our way to profitability. Um, thank you, Annie and Lindsay, so much for taking the time to jam with me today. This has been a ton of fun. Uh, for everybody out there that's watching and listening right now and would love to connect with you, what is the best way to do so? Annie, I'll start with you and Lindsay, I'll ask you the same question. Uh, well, probably by email would be best. Um, and we can share the email um, on the, the screen at the end of the video. Absolutely not a problem. Lindsay, for yourself, best way to connect with you? Uh, probably because I'm not so good. I, I sometimes delete my emails. Probably link, LinkedIn is, is probably the best approach because I get a, a message whenever somebody is asking me to connect or sending a message. So it's just Lindsay Duffield. At, you'll, you'll find me on LinkedIn. I, I'm with you. I'm the same. I probably spend more time communicating on LinkedIn than I now would ever do on, on email. But hey, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me, you guys. This has been a blast. You guys have yourself a wonderful day. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason.